Tonight's scripture reading is 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. Welcome to Grace Community Church downtown. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here this evening. We're continuing uh, our series in Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And last week, what we looked at was the sufficiency of the Word of God and, and how they received it as uh, it actually is, the Word of God, and not the Word of, of men. And, and today we're continuing in this series on, on a very, very consistent theme, which is throughout the book of 1 Thessalonians, and that's Paul's concern, Paul's concern for the church because he was there for three to four weeks approximately, preaching three consecutive Sabbaths, and there was great persecution there, and he was run out of town. And as he left, he was continually burdened. He was burdened for this fledgling church, these new believers, and the affliction that they were undergoing. And so there's a theme of suffering, and I want to start uh, this evening's message with asking a question for you to ponder and consider before we get too deep into the text, and that is this. How do you suffer? How do you suffer? Now, there's two different ways you can look at this question or, or read this question. The first is, in what ways do you suffer? Some of you suffer physically, uh, chronic illness. Uh, some of you suffer because you've gone through very difficult and trying and hard relationships. Um, we've had a, a mental health forum where some of you struggle with depression or, or anxiety or, or, there's, or, 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 or you can just keep on going. That's not necessarily the way I want you to hear this question or process it. The question is not in what ways do you suffer, but how do you process your suffering? Regardless of what the suffering is, how do you deal with it? What, what goes through your mind? How do you process it? How do you, how do you get through it? That's the question. How do you suffer? So last week, <laughs> I swear I'm pushing the right button. There we go. It's just me. It's just me. Every time. Last week we looked at this. Paul says, I also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of man, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. So the reason that Paul is so excited and encouraged by the fact that they've received the word of God is because of the effect Falls filled with praise because, first of all, his concern. First of all, his concern. As I said, he left, he's gone, and he's worried. He's worried, he's concerned because he knows they're going through great affliction. Great affliction. Uh, take a look at a few of these verses here. He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, 
not in heart, we endeavored more clearly with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us for what is our hope, our joy, our crown, our boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. Therefore, when I, we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left at Athens alone and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. That's his concern, that they were going to be moved by these afflictions. Then he says in verse 4, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, and just as you now know. And then verse 5, For this reason, when we could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul is concerned because he's left and he's concerned that the affliction that they're receiving at the hands of the people in their region that are persecuting them is going to be the catalyst that drives them away from Christ. And he's very, very concerned. So that's his concern. My concern is why I can never actually get this to work and everyone else seem to... Can you just advance it for me? If I go like this, that's the cue. So you can, I can just pretend that it's working. So this means I'm, I'm clicking. All right. So Paul's solution, he says, I'm going to send to you Timothy. Timothy's going to come and he's going to exhort you and establish you in the faith. So Paul wants them to receive the word of God, the gospel, so they can be unmoved, unmoved in the midst of their affliction. And then the report here is Paul's discovery. Let's take a look at verses 6 through 10. Verses 6 through 10. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he's brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all of our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. So the word that Timothy brings back is, Paul, you don't need to be concerned. They receive the gospel. They've been established in their faith. They are unmoved because of all the trials, tribulations, and afflictions that they are receiving. They are standing firm in the strength and power of the Lord. And Paul is absolutely overjoyed. So they thrived under affliction. What we are going to look at, back it up. I think it actually worked. And then she clicked it as well. So we're going to have fun tonight with the PowerPoint. So here's what we're going to look at. Three things tonight. Number one, the nature of affliction. The nature of affliction. Number two, the danger of affliction. And number three, where our hope is in the midst of that affliction. So those are the three things we're going to gather and glean from the text uh, in terms of how to help us process our own suffering, whether you're going through it now or whether you're going to go through it in the future, and how to stand firm and steadfast and unmoved in your faith as you experience whatever trials that come along your way. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in the Word Uh, Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that he is our atoning sacrifice and he is our righteousness. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus sent um, after the ascension. 
Uh, Father, we thank you that that same Holy Spirit seals us and sets us apart. Thank you that that same Holy Spirit also gives us the word of God, which we are opening up tonight. I pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word, that we would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened, that we would be established in our faith, that our feet would be standing firmly in the, in the, uh, the rock, you, Jesus, uh, which has redeemed us. And we pray, Father, that the preaching of your word would have an effect and that we would all draw, clo- draw closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the nature of affliction. Let's take a look at the text here. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. These afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you now know. Okay, so Kurt, first of all, it is very, very clear that in Paul's short time there, three to four weeks, he emphasized the fact that if you are going to follow Christ, you are going to suffer affliction. Now, there are many people that are, that are, considering Christianity or even within the body of Christ, especially maybe in the United States where the prosperity gospel has kind of taken, taken root, that assume that the goal here is to, uh, to, 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 uh, to avoid suffering, that by following Christ, he's going to make us healthy, he's going to make us wealthy, and God bless you if, you if that's something that he does do, but here's what Paul wants to do. He wants to burst your bubble if that's what you actually believe the purpose of Christianity is. He says, clearly, we told you again and again, you're going to suffer affliction. Now, for those of you who are not followers of Christ, you're considering following Christ, and you're looking at that going, "Mm, I don't want to suffer affliction. Here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you follow Jesus or not. You're going to suffer affliction. What Paul's trying to help them understand is that following Jesus does not take you out of this world, at least not yet, and while you're in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. In fact, your troubles are going to probably increase in some aspects, in some aspects. So let's take a look at different kinds, different kinds of affliction. First of all, uh, suffering due to another sin. Now, this is the immediate context of the text. Paul's talking about the afflictions that they are experiencing, and those afflictions are due specifically to the persecution of the people in the region. He says, just as, just as the Christians in Jerusalem were persecuted by the Jews, you are being persecuted by your own countrymen. So there are many times the, the suffering that you endure are going to be directly a result of some people sinning against you. What? It's, it's this, it's that, it's, it's someone else's sin. This is my affliction. This is my affliction. This and the honking, the honking cars. So it could get worse. It could get worse. So we'll, we'll just see how this plays out. So that's, that's one, one area where people are afflicted. And 
in the context of 1 Thessalonians, it is people that are persecuting them for our faith. But in, in our country, um, you, your persecution for the faith is going to be way, way less in terms of what you experience in other parts of the world. You might be mocked, you might be belittled, you might be shunned, but more than likely no one's going to try to take your life, at least not in this nation. Uh, but other, other types of afflictions that are due to, uh, to another people's sins are, are relational. Relational. People can harm you relationally, all sorts of different ways. There's another way that, uh, that we're afflicted, and that is suffering due to my own sin. My own sin. How many of you have, have, uh, have experienced a degree of suffering because of your own sin and stupidity? Okay? Uh, there were years and years ago when the kids were little, um, we, well, we still go to Missouri all the time. That's where Stacy's folks uh, are from. And we, uh, we took the family down. It was spring, and we went down, and we, we were with her mom, and, and they fixed this huge, huge fried pork chop dinner with mashed potatoes and gravy and cornbread and all sorts of, all sorts of food. And I just, I just ate and ate and ate and ate and ate and ate and ate to the point where I, I was going to throw up. And I got up, and I left the table, and I, I kind of burped in my mouth, and there was, there, there it came, you know, it's, uh, this is bad, and so I'm, I'm just kind of like, you know, spitting, rinsing my mouth out, and I come back, and I, they're like, and I told, I told everybody, right? So the next, so fast forward a week later, a week later, uh, my daughter's third grade teacher comes up to me laughing hysterically and says, your daughter shared a prayer request that you were sick last week. You know, they ask for prayer. It's Heritage Christian School. How can, you know, how can we pray for your family? And my daughter raises her hand. Caitlin says, you can pray for my dad. He, he threw up this weekend. She says, oh, did he have the flu? No, he just ate too much. Okay. That's, that's gluttony. That's just pure, unfiltered gluttony. And I have an excuse because we're Steve Shepherdly. I was in Missouri, and this is just what you do in Missouri. You go there, and and, and you and you eat. Anyway, uh, so there was there was the shame of being called out to a whole third grade class, and that yes, Pastor Brooks is a glutton, and so but that was brought on totally by my. And it's it's kind of a silly example, uh, but when that's a repeated thing. It's not quite so silly. It brings on health implications later in life. Um, so whether it's poor choices that you make relationally, poor choices that you make health-wise, poor choices that you make financially, when, when, when we are not wise and when we engage in sin, it can bring negative consequences and suffering, which is due directly to our own sin. Next point. So there's also suffering that's due to living in a fallen world. In other words, it's not necessarily connected to someone sinning against us. It's not necessarily connected to poor choices that we've made, sinful choices. Sometimes you just suffer because you live in a fallen world. Now the text here is a reference to uh, the disciples just outside of the temple. In John chapter 9, they see a person who is begging, and this person was born blind. And their, their question to Jesus is, is, is classic in terms of it, how it illustrates how we think people suffer, or why, or the reason. They look at him, and they look to Jesus and say, who sinned? Was it him, or was it his parents? Now, what's the automatic assumption? The automatic assumption is that there is a one-to-one -one connection between how people suffer and someone's sin. 
If you're suffering, it's because you sinned or someone sinning against you. There, in, in other words, it's, it's a, it, that's it. Those are two options. And Jesus says, neither. It's neither this man's sin nor his parents' sin. But this man was born blind so that on this day God might be glorified. In other words, he was born into a fallen world. The effects of sin is far-reaching. Sometimes the tree falls on your tent while you're asleep and you didn't plan for it. You, it's not because you were sinning and you chose the wrong spot at the campsite. It's not because you were in gross immorality. It's not because there was someone sinister cutting down the tree. It's because the wind blew and there was a tornado and boom, here you are. And sometimes you get sick, you get cancer. These things happen. It's not connected to Anything someone has done directly against you or anything that you have done. Sometimes bad things just happen. Sometimes bad things just happen. Next point. And sometimes suffering is due to supernatural evil. Sometimes it's due to supernatural evil. And now when that's the case, the first three categories can also be directly connected to that. A classic example of this in the Bible is the book of Job. You have uh, God... Uh, Satan comes before Job and he says, or not Job, Satan comes before God and God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. He is righteous and he worships me. And Satan's like, well, pfft. Well, why wouldn't he worship you? You've given him everything. He's rich. He has a great family. He's well-respected in the community. You have a hedge of protection around him. Just remove the hedge of protection. Let me add him, and he will curse you to your face. He will deny you. He will, he will blaspheme. And God allows Satan to enter into a persecution of Job. Now, the first way that that happens is the first category, suffering due to another's sin. So a group of marauders come, and they, they steal all of his livestock, and, and they, uh, they attack his servants, and so he's instantly without wealth, just like that. Now, that's the sin against him due to other people's sin. And the next thing that happens is, is a great wind strikes the home of his children. They're having a great party, and that house collapses, and his whole family is wiped out in a moment. In a moment. That would be the third category, suffering due to living in a fallen world. A tornado comes and strikes a house, boom. Now, those are connected, though, to supernatural evil and a supernatural persecution. And then, of course, Job uh, develops boils and he's sick and, and he's itching and he's scraping his, uh, his sores with pottery in, in, the, in the city dump. And, and this is a direct result of satanic attack. Satanic attack. Now Job doesn't know this. Job doesn't know this. I am not suggesting that everything that you and I experience, whether it's sin against us from other people whether it's uh, sin or, or rather not due to sin, but rather um, weather events or sickness. I'm not saying that Satan is the initiator, but he is certainly at work in how you process suffering. How you process suffering. So those are, are four different ways that people suffer. Take a look at the next slide here. The danger of affliction. The danger of affliction. So we've looked at the nature We've looked at the nature. Now let's take a look at how these afflictions, regardless of their type, how they're dangerous. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. 
Okay, that's the danger. Not the afflictions, but what those afflictions might result in in terms of us being moved. Keep reading. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. When we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand we were going to suffer afflictions, just as it's come to pass, and you now know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So the danger, here's the thing. This is not necessarily intuitive. The danger is not the afflictions themselves. The danger is what the afflictions lead to in terms of us being moved away from Christ or us moving away from Christ. That's the danger. That's the danger. Take a look at the next slide here. Quote by Paul Tripp. You never just suffer the thing that you're suffering. You always suffer, also suffer the way that you're suffering that thing. Think about that. You never just suffer what you're suffering. You also suffer the way that you suffer. I know that's kind of a mind trip here, but think about it. Think about it. Our suffering is more powerfully shaped by what's in our heart than by what's in our body or the world around us. That is a profound point. You're familiar with this, this spiritual armor. Paul talks about in, in Ephesians chapter 6. And he says, take up the shield of faith that you can extinguish what? What's he, what are we supposed to extinguish with the shield? The fiery darts. What are the fiery darts? Let me tell you what they're not. They're not your afflictions. They're not your afflictions. Do you know how I know they're not your afflictions? Because a shield of faith can't prevent a tornado. Shield of faith can't prevent the economy from bottoming out and you losing your job. Shield of faith can't prevent cancer. Did you know that? Your shield will not prevent those things. You can walk through life holding up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the, and the, the, uh, the shoes of the gospel of peace. You can be fully armed at all times get cancer, get hit by a car, your house blown over by a tornado, lose all your money, and be persecuted for your faith. So either the shield of faith is worthless and can't do anything, or maybe Paul's not talking about affliction. He's talking about what the enemy causes you to think about your afflictions. This is where it's dangerous. This is where it's absolutely crucial that we understand what Paul's talking about here. The shield of faith does not prevent persecution in countries where it's illegal to follow Jesus. Next slide. The danger of affliction. First point. Affliction can keep you from the faith. Generation Z, the the newest generation, a study by Barna, I think it came out in 2016. Generation Z is is the... this generation is more likely to refer to themselves as atheists than any previous generation before it. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that, uh, that they are all atheists, but there's a, a growing segment, a growing segment of this generation that, that refers to themselves as an atheist. And one of the major tenets, one of the major reasons that they give for not believing in God is 
the existence of evil and suffering in the world. So they will look at afflictions. They will look at human suffering. They will look at injustice in all of its forms, and they will make this conclusion. They will make this conclusion. If God is good, he would not allow evil. Therefore, he is not good. Therefore, there is no God. Or, if God is good and he allows evil, he is good, but he's impotent and therefore not worthy of worship. Or the third option is there is just no God. So uh, uh, an understanding of, of affliction and, a, and, a, and not understanding how God works in the universe and what he does for affliction can be a catalyst for, or, a, or a, an obstacle for someone to come to faith. For someone to come to faith. And some of you might be in this place where you're wrestling with whether or not you're going to place your faith in this God who allows suffering and you're not sure how you should deal with this. I would encourage you to, to just read the scriptures. And, I want, and, and this is important that you see verses like this because nowhere in the Bible do any of the uh, apostles, any of the prophets talk about a God who is, is indifferent to human suffering. But rather very, very engaged with humans in their suffering. This is crucial that you understand this. And the second point, affliction can derail your faith if you are a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ. This is why Paul sent Timothy. He was super concerned that they were going to be moved away from their faith because of the afflictions that they're, they're, uh, they're undergoing. Let me give you two different, uh, two different spectrums here. Uh, when you experience pain and suffering and you believe, you believe that it's not deserved, how many of you ever, have you gone through some intense pain, physical, emotional, persecution, betrayal, and you have thought to yourself, God, why would you allow this to happen? Anybody ever been there? Okay, if you haven't, you will be. If you haven't, you will be. I remember when I first came, when I got into ministry. I became a Christian in 1988. Ten years later, I went into vocational ministry and started working with college students here at the University of Iowa for Grace uh, Community Church a long, long time ago. And uh, shortly after, I mean, it was almost, it was almost like, okay, it's the school semester starts, you start ministry, and boom. My son Ryan, who a lot of you know, uh, his kidney stopped working. And we took him to Mercy Hospital, and the doctors tried to figure out what was wrong, and they couldn't figure out after four days or so, and then we went over to the U, and a, a, a kidney a pediatric specialist looked at Ryan after two or three days, came in and sat down with Stacy and I and says, uh, he has Wagner's disease. We're like, what's Wagner's disease? Well, it's an autoimmune disease that attacks the kidneys and the lungs. I'm like, okay, so what's, what's the prognosis? There's no cure. What do you do? Well, we'll probably start with massive doses of steroids and try to manage it, and then eventually he'll, ha he'll have to have a transplant. What? What? You know, and I held it together long enough for the doctor to, to walk out of the room, and then I completely lost it, and I was an emotional, white-hot mess. And I know that's hard for you to imagine that I would be emotional, but completely lost it, and, and I, I was just sobbing, and I, and I just got up, and I just... I just Walked out of the room and I started wandering the halls of the, 
the labyrinth of the University of Iowa hospitals. And I remember thinking, I wasn't audibly saying it, but I remember thinking the following. God, I've given you my life. I've given you my life. Why are you allowing this to happen? Now, put the, what, what am I thinking? How am I processing the affliction at that moment? My thinking is, I'm at a point in my life where I'm vocationally giving my life to you and I'm preaching the gospel. I don't deserve this. What's the assumption? If you're a good person, you love Jesus and you're trying really hard, you shouldn't suffer. Where did I get that from the Bible? I didn't. I, and I knew better intellectually, but I still asked the question. I still asked the question. Now, I had to bring people up to speed in the North Liberty service because a lot of times I'll just use an illustration like that and just keep going. By the way, end of the story, Ryan was miraculously healed. He's fine. So just in case you were wondering, he does not have that disease anymore. So God healed him. But I, that's, that's a, that you can be derailed there. If you get to a place, I remember talking with a guy at Grace that had a, a chronic illness that just was, I mean, he couldn't walk. He was... His, his legs didn't work anymore, and he was getting worse. And this went on for years and years and years, and he got into a very dark place. And he began to, just like Job, he felt he was innocent. He was like, I was praying. I was reading my Bible. I was sharing my faith. You see where this goes? You see where this is going? And therefore, he started to become embittered towards God. The enemy is launching fiery darts. How he was processing, how I was processing, my affliction in that moment was setting my soul on fire and not in a good way. Not in a good way. Fortunately, the Lord, and I was talking with this gentleman today, he's, he's physically much better. He said, there are times like that when things are so dark and you become so embittered towards God, the only thing that you can do is have the body of Christ intercede for you because you just you lose the will to pray. You lose the will to pray. That's why Paul in Ephesians 6 says pray for one another because there are times you don't have a right thinking process and others need to intercede for you. But there's another end of the spectrum. There's another end of the spectrum. 2008 was a particularly bad year uh, for a lot of reasons. The flood happened in 2008, but I remember one particular a two-week span in, in 2008, that summer, where the flood hit downtown Iowa City and all along the Iowa River and also the, the Cedar River. The flood hit, and a good friend of mine came knocking at the door, opened up the door. Hey, John, how are you doing? My wife's got pancreatic cancer. It's terminal. And then, within a two-week span, uh, some of you are familiar with the Koshin family, they're a family that, uh, they live in Cedar Rapids now in Marion. Um, but they were uh, on staff at J-Life, some of our field staff partners in, in Africa. But before they went to Africa in 2008, um, they're having a birthday party for one of their boys. And it was outdoors. They live in the country. And, and the lady came up to read the meter. And she was new. And she didn't know where their meter was. And I said, where's your meter? And said, oh, it's just a genie. He's like, it's just up the hill. It's right around the, the, you know, the south side of the house. And so the car rolled away, and, and, and all the kids are running around. And Jeannie's like, where's Avery? 
And as the car rolled away, out from underneath the car was her two-year-old daughter, Avery. So they rushed Avery to the hospital, and, and Jeannie was in the ambulance, and I drove to meet them there, and Rob was on the way, and he wasn't there yet. So I was the first person that Jeannie saw. And I walk into the room, the doctors bring me back in the ER, and there's Avery on the table, lifeless. And the first thing that Jeannie says to me is, is this because of my sin? That's a fiery dart. There are times when you are going to suffer and you are going to suffer intensely and you're not going to think, I don't deserve this. You're going to think, this is punishment for something I've done in the past. Or the person I am is not worthy of the love of God and God does, his love is no longer on me. He has abandoned me. That is being moved from your faith by your afflictions. And the enemy is all over that. All over that. That is a dangerous, dangerous thing. You look around people's Facebook posts and their Instagram posts and their, and their Twitter feeds and you see their perfect manicured lives and their photographed lives that are put out there. And then you look at the reality of your life and your Christian experience and your depression and your anxiety and your afflictions and all of these things and you begin to conclude the following. God is blessing them. He's not blessing them, me. It must be because there's something wrong with my faith or... There's something wrong with my God. And the enemy is, he's happy whichever direction you go. The I don't deserve this, I become embittered towards God. Or I deserve this, I become distant from God because God's love is no longer on me, or at least I perceive that. The enemy is totally fine with either path you take. And ultimately, that can lead to you completely rejecting Christ. Now, I know there's theological implications of that, and that brings into question whether you actually knew Christ, and and that's a fair question. It's a sermon for another time. But I have two individuals who were in fellowship groups or discipleship groups, leadership training that I've known over the last 25 years. I mean, these are not just casual attenders at Grace. These are people that came for Friday morning prayer at 6 a.m. in the morning every single week for years. Both of these individuals, neither one of them knew one another, but they experienced various afflictions and relational difficulties and things didn't go their way. Both of them have rejected Jesus outright. That's what Paul's talking about. There is danger in how you process how I process affliction. How you process affliction. So now let's move to the next part. Standing firm. So he sends Timothy, verse 2, our brother and God's co-worker, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Okay, so the goal here, Paul wants to make sure Timothy, make sure they understand the gospel. Make sure they're standing firm. Make sure that they have the shield of faith and they know how to use it. Make sure that they have this. And so Timothy's like, they're doing great. 
They're doing great. So let's, what is it that they knew, that they understood, that we can glean so that we can stand firm? Next slide. Hope and affliction. First of all, don't be surprised when you suffer. Don't be surprised. He says, we kept telling you, you were destined for this. The reference here is 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Do not be surprised by the fiery trials you're enduring as if something strange were happening to you. Your brothers and sisters are experiencing the same kind of trials all over the world. Here's the thing. If you don't understand that you're going to be punched in the mouth or the stomach or knocked down by some trial, tribulation, or affliction, when it happens, you'll be like, (gasps) you'll be totally taken off guard. And you will begin to question, is it me or is it God? No, it's totally normal. This is warfare we're in. We live in a fallen world. So be prepared. Understand that you are going to suffer. You are going to suffer. Do not be surprised. Next point. Know the worst case scenario is actually not that bad. Justin Martyr was being, uh, uh, early church father was being um, ready to be, to be persecuted or rather executed for his faith. And he said, you can kill me, but you can't harm me. You can kill me, but you can't harm me. Now, think that through. You can kill me, but you can't harm me. The quote here is, your suffering will kill you, but it can't harm you. Now, how many of you, that, that sounds nonsensical and almost absurd? It doesn't sound right, but this is exactly what Jesus taught. In Luke chapter 12, verse 4, he says, don't fear Don't fear the person who has the ability to kill you. But instead, fear the one who has the authority to cast your body and your soul into hell. Death can't harm you. Death can't harm you. The afflictions that you experience, they can kill you. Cancer will kill you. A tornado can kill you. A car accident can take your life. But here's the crazy thing. Just a little crowd participation. How many of you are aware that someday you're going to die? Just raise your hand. Is anybody unaware of this? No. Yeah, one person. (laughs) Yeah, we're all going to die, right? So what, what, we're all going to die. What, What Paul's point is, what Jesus' point is, listen, that's not the worst thing that can happen to you. It's inevitable anyway. But it cannot harm you if you are in Christ. You're going to lose everything except Christ. Except Christ. So understand what the worst case scenario is. Next point. Understand the end result. The end result is an eternal weight of glory. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, as we wrap up here, Paul says in verse 18... For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed in us or to us. Here's, here's what many people think of. They think of heaven as, as a consolation for all of our affliction. So it's like God looks at us and says, oh, this world has got many troubles, but this, the next world is going to be awesome, and it will make up for your troubles. It will make up for your afflictions. C.S. Lewis says that's not the way it works. He says, heaven is not a consolation of your afflictions. 
God uses your suffering and affliction and actually produces heaven. You say, well, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know, but if you read the rest of the chapter in chapter 8, he goes on to say that, that the, the, the creation is, is, is subjected to futility and the Spirit, it groans with words that we can't even understand, that we don't even know. The Spirit is interceding for us. And then it says that God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. That is not saying that, God, that, that all things are good, but rather God is working all things for good. Cancer is not good. Death is not good. Being persecuted is not good, but God is working all these these things for our good. And I don't know how. I don't know how God does it, but I have one critical historical example, and it's the most important one. What is the worst injustice that's ever occurred in the history of humanity? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. What the, the, what is the most severe suffering any human being has ever endured in the history of the universe? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It is not merely the physical pain that he endured, but it is the spiritual separation of, of him from his father. Jesus experienced an eternity of hell on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God. There, there is no greater affliction than the cross. Right? Heaven is not a consolation for that affliction. Heaven exists because of that affliction. That is the means and the mechanism by which you and I can enter into glory. Now here's the thing. In the same way God did not waste one ounce of pain that his son experienced, he will not waste one ounce of pain that you experience. All of that will be for your glory. I don't know how it all works, but I can look to the cross and I know that he made it work. And he had a promise and he gave a promise and he says, I'm going to work all things for good. The verse that Steve read and the praise team read, we will close with that. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Death can only kill you, but it cannot harm you. Because God redeems all suffering. And if your faith is placed in Jesus Christ... Paul is exhorting us to stand firm and trust him in the midst of your trials and pray for relief from suffering. I'm not saying that we should not pray for healing. By all means, pray for healing. By all means, pray for reconciliation and, 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 and God to protect you from persecution. Of course you should pray that. But when, when you experience trials, tribulations, and afflictions, Do not question the love of God that he has for you. Stand firm and stand fast in the strength and the power of the Lord, knowing that he is going to work all things for your good and for your glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you do not waste suffering. Your own suffering has secured our salvation, and our suffering is producing our sanctification. We don't enjoy it, but we thank you, Lord, that you are using it. Thank you for all the promises that we have in Christ. pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen.